You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, I, I know I'll get questions about the state of our team, and my expectations are is that uh, we'll have a great week of practice. I, I think that, uh, you know, this is a, a, a great time uh, for all of us to not be controlled by our circumstances, but be controlled by the moment of what we get to do. I'm excited to get back to work with our team this afternoon and get ready to go. Think about this season. 12 points separate four and five from seven and two. And not that seven and two is acceptable, but 12 points total, not 12 points in a game, 12 points total. So you're looking for those points and we are too. And and like I said, the games, the way that they're conducted, the external stuff that, that surrounds the program. Yeah, I think just playing well for each other and playing well for our, our coaches, you know, that motivates me more than anything. So I think, uh, you know, preparing hard and and practicing hard and just having taken pride in that that's 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 plenty to play for and welcome here to another edition of the husker online show sean callahan robin washat nate clow says it is nebraska minnesota saturday and huskers now both teams going in this game four and five trying to get bowl eligible and uh we know everything else that's going on in nebraska as well i mean there's just so much speculation now about the future Bill Moose has not obviously made any definitive statements um, about Mike Riley, but um, he said about as he see guys he said he said about as much as you can without actually saying Mike Riley is going to be gone at this point. Yeah, there's a lot of writing on the wall with every media opportunity. Not only Bill Moose, but you know Ronnie Green. Uh, he just did an interview where he was asked about cracking Scott yeah, Frost Scott jokes Frost and how like his wife is friends with him and he's known all about him since they were at the um, 97 national championship. And so like, you know, <laughs> if they wanted to do anything to quell the speculation and rumors that are flying around lately, they probably could have done it by now. Instead, they're dumping a lot of fuel on that fire. So it's uh, certainly made for a interesting few weeks. And I think it's only going to get uh, a little bit more interesting as we go, go on here yeah it, it is uh it's kind of curious how they've been willing to answer those questions about scott frost instead of kind of just say you know what um we know who he is and and uh and we, he was a really good player here at nebraska back in the day and and kind of just leave it at that so um yeah it's the the speculation and the the rumor mill is you know getting you know, kind of having a fever pitch and getting a little, little more intense as the days go by. I thought this comment was also interesting from Bill Moose. He was on Big Red Wrap Up with us on Tuesday, and and he said, when he what's he looking for when he evaluates? His answer was, you look for stability. Nebraska has had that stability for decades, I believe, all the way through Frank Solich. A lot of that was because it was handed down, it was successful, and it was handed down to successors, and it was their turn to take the baton. Uh, I, I also feel and I see that with our volleyball program right now that the players feel an obligation to keep the program up at the top and then hand it off responsible uh, hand that responsibility off to the younger generations coming up. Uh, we got to get back to that as well. And really that comes with stability, someone who's going to be successful for five, eight, ten years, and then maybe somebody on that staff who is ready to take it over. 
it's different now than it was in the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s. But still, you look at the places that are really successful, you do see stability in those programs. And nothing about that statement tells me Mike Riley is going to be the coach of Nebraska next year. In fact, it, it almost leads me to believe it's Scott Frost. I mean, it's almost like he mentions Frank Solich, and Frost is almost like the guy that would have got the baton from Solich right now. If Frost, if Solich was still the coach at Nebraska, you could argue uh, Frost would have been the guy that would have got the baton right right now at this point in this in this stage. Yeah, and you know, obviously, this kind of goes back to um, them just fueling this speculation, and now it's to the point where if Scott Frost, you know, doesn't get the job going into next season, there's going to be a lot of very upset people, you know, no matter who they choose, and so it's that's a very unique dynamic, um, pretty unusual for any coaching situation that I can remember, where you still have a current sitting active head coach and his staff trying to finish out the season, and basically the public fan base has already anointed their new head coach. It's uh, it's a re- and the administration isn't doing anything to shut that down. So I mean, it's it's and one other thing I want to add. Bill Moose said too, he's like, I, I haven't talked to any coaches or anybody out there, but you can. He goes, you can do all. He said he told us to Adam character in his. Uh, uh, Character Chronicles interview this week. You can do a lot of talking by talking to agents. So yeah, I mean, exactly. He, <laughs> well, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, yes. it's all all the talk, whether it's Bill Moose or any other program that may be looking to, for a new head coach. It's all happening behind the scenes with agents and not happening directly with coaches themselves. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. As we get you ready for Minnesota, but. Really, very little talk around these parts about Minnesota. And yeah, there's a game. What? Um, <laughs> you know the the other thing I got to get to is Bob Diaco. Guys, get your popcorn out. It's going to be a fun two weeks. Um, if Saturday and Tuesday were anything to kind of let us know what the next two weeks are going to be like, because uh, Bob Diaco was not afraid to uh, deliver the goods. He was not afraid to badmouth people that had jobs here before him. And it was an interesting deal because we just you just don't see that. You just don't get up there and badmouth, you know, people that were in those positions before you in that type of role. Maybe off the record you do it. You tell a Sam McEwen or guys like us or Steve Sipple in a in a conversation just for background. Hey guys, just so you know, this rugby thing was absolute garbage. And you tell them that, but you don't get up front and say that. And and it was interesting, Robin, that he did that on Tuesday. And it it, it just opened up a whole nother deal. Just add it to the list of what has been a very odd eleven months of the Bob Diaco era. Uh, yeah, and it's funny, like, because he, he spent that whole post-practice interview, like, prefacing, you know, I, I know that I get long-winded, and I just want to keep this concise and to the point, and then he ended up talking for 25 minutes. <laughs> like, you know, it was just, it, it's, he's a very unusual personality, and, you know, he he warned us on his introductory press conference, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, um, a unique character, OCD. Uh, OCD, I want to rearrange all these recorders on this podium right now, so, you know, we, we kind of should have known that this was, uh, you know, something that we were going to deal with, and um, it's only played out uh, stranger and stranger as we've gone, and, you know, as things, if they continue to get worse, it's going to be very interesting to see um, where things go from here. And I might be kind of unique in my stance on this, but I almost feel bad for the guy. Yeah. Like, like he he pretty much told us right out of the gate that he's that he's uh, an unusual guy. That he's you know maybe OCD. Um, obviously, does not like talking in front of people or in front of crowds necessarily. Which is why he tried to get rid of it. Well, yeah, yeah. which he is, rarely did at Notre Dame, if ever. Exactly, and so so like we've kind of 
and and as soon as he didn't talk with the media after the first game, like the media just pounced on the guy. And we find out he did get stuck in an elevator, legitimately. Exactly. Yeah, and then um, and now the writing is on the wall. He's 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 had what like eight months to to really try and get his defense installed and and work with. with Lost play. his mentor Bob Elliott yeah, this year. I mean, the guy. I, I kind of feel bad for him because he's been put in like the the most ultimate awkward situation, and he and he's probably not even gonna last year you know more than a couple more weeks you may not make it to christmas yeah, yeah. that elliot deal is kind of an underrated storyline because i mean that was kind of his security blanket yep. here i mean he was the one kind of fatherly mentor that was just gonna the guy he can confide in with that could put him in check too exactly a guy could tell him no and then you know obviously he could articulate things in a way that bob struggles and so when that was lost uh, i think that that really kind of uh, shuffle things uh, out of sorts a little bit as far as, you know, how systematic Bob Diaco is with everything that he does. And that was a real, um, you know, wild card that, he, you know, he, I think he's still struggling to adjust to. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. We're going to have a full show here. I promise we will talk some Nebraska-Minnesota <laughs> here in our next couple of segments. But there was just too much theater off the field that we had to address um, and then, you know, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag. Matt Reynoldson will join us here. Uh, but uh, as recruiting as well, Nebraska had eight official visitors in town with the landscape of kind of where things are at. We'll get Nate Klaus's thoughts on how that weekend went for Nebraska. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We were trying to get him back, you know. I hope, hopefully, he'll be okay. Uh, he's he's been, you know, just maybe a little slower to come back uh, lately, and and I'm hoping that we can get him rehabbed and ready to go. If we can, we'll get him in the rotation. So we'll we'll have to see how much practice he gets. And I think he'll be all right. You know, that's what we're getting from the from the medical staff that he'll be ready to go. So that's what we're planning on, and and that's how we'll work him in practice. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. That was offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf and running backs coach Reggie Davis talking about how they might work Jalen Bradley back into the mix. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. Five locations, Omaha, two in Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's, watch the game, 11 a.m. kickoff. They will be open early uh, so make sure you get on inside and a uh, great opportunity to uh, watch a road game and one of the top sports bars in the Omaha Lincoln area. And guys, a, a, as you move on and, and kind of, you know, we talked Jalen Bradley out of the gates. Um, it will be interesting to see what they do. Um, clearly, Divino Zigbo is the guy, but Jalen Bradley just left us all wanting to see more at Purdue. Had over 80 yards on 10 touches um, in that win in West Lafayette that had the ankle injury. Um, I'll just be really curious kind of how they go about using him this week, if they can just throw him right back into the fire. I think they're going to need to incorporate him in, in some regard. I mean, obviously he might be limited um, just with the practice time that he's missed. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they need more options at running back right now. Uh, Mikhail Wilbon is essentially being phased out. Uh, of this run game. Um, and, you know, Divina Zigbo, um, he received some criticism from his coaches this week. You know, Danny Langsdorf kind of talked about the the impatience in which he's running the ball with, you know, not letting holes develop and overshooting um, the holes he's supposed to hit, uh, you know, and how he's leaving um, a significant amount of yardage on the field 
uh, just by making poor decisions and being impatient. So uh, I think that naturally leads to Nebraska wanting to get uh, a freshman that they've been excited about all year and has shown flashes more involved if they can. Um, and obviously this week sets up for that. This is a Minnesota run defense that has struggled, struggled mightily. Uh, last week against Michigan, the Wolverines, Wolverines ran the ball 37 times for 371 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, on the year, they're giving up just under 160 yards a game, which is ninth in the Big Ten. So clearly, if there was a weakness for this Minnesota defense, it is stopping the run. So that points the finger directly at any of those running backs, probably all of them, and the offensive line to set the tone up front and finally develop a consistent running game. Yeah, basically complete opposite of what they faced last week against Northwestern. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this this is a, a great opportunity for them to do that. And I think Jalen Bradley, you know, based off what we saw at the Purdue game, I mean, he brings something a little different to to the table than you know, than a Divino Zigbo or Mikhail Wilbon does. And um, you know, a different style of running the football, um, and, and definitely something that uh, not too many teams have obviously really been able to prepare for or anything. So uh, you do hope that he's healthy enough to go, at least give them some sort of spark uh, in their ground game, because uh, there's no question they're going to need it, especially if the forecast holds true. I mean, we're talking about a uh, possibility of snow. Some, you know, I think it's cleared up now. It, okay. it doesn't look it's as gonna bad. It's going to be cold. It's going to be yeah, cold. It's though. Definitely going to be cold though. So. Um, yeah, I think that uh, I think it's going to be imperative to get something going on the ground, something more than what Nebraska has been able to the past couple of weeks, at least. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we get you ready for Saturday's game with Minnesota. The segment brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. And I think last week the Michigan game, too, was really a blueprint Nebraska's tried to follow. Uh, the Wolverines kind of went in there with a pro-style type of system. Uh, they went two tight ends, fullback, and, and just as Reggie Davis said, went old school. And this went black and blue old school football and ran the ball right up the middle on Minnesota. And um, I, I think Nebraska's got to study that and look at that a lot this week because um, this is a game where you're going to have to, I believe, to win, run for 200 yards or more. Well, and what was really the difference for Michigan in that game, though, um, was their explosive plays on the ground. Um, of their four rushing touchdowns, Three came from 60 yards or longer. How many yards over 20, runs over 20 yards does Nebraska have this season? Now, you're probably counting on one hand. So that's the difference. I mean, Nebraska needs home run ability with this offense. They can't nickel and dime their way down the field every time because there's too many opportunities for bad things to happen with turnovers, with pick sixes, with penalties. We've seen it time and again. So um, whether it's through the air or on the ground, Nebraska has to develop a big play threat for them ever to be successful. And so um, you can line up big personnel all you want, but if those running backs aren't able to get to the next level and then make a guy miss to turn good runs into touchdowns, uh, I mean, you're you're not going to have nearly that success that Michigan had last week. Well, the the longest play on the ground that Nebraska's had was J.D.'s Spielman's uh, fly sweep <laughs> last week. There you go. And that's a, that was a 40-yard run. So, I mean, heck, even if they need to get that going, uh, find some sort of way. That worked really pretty well. Against well, I like the jet sweep, too, because I think it gets people's eyes moving mm-hmm. before the play, and that also can help out Ozigbo. And I think that just the action of that, that movement with Spielman coming across or Pearsonell coming across, that actually opened a few uh, opportunities for Ozigbo, I felt, later in the game last week. Yeah. I, I agree with that. So, um, so yeah, I think that's another opportunity that Nebraska could have or, or needs to, to kind of utilize to, to get that ground game going. 
you're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. And, the guys, the other big thing is Tanner Lee. Which Tanner Lee shows up on offense? I mean, the guy that was really as good as we've seen over the last month in October or the guy that struggled in his first November start against Northwestern and three interceptions and, um, you know, just making bad reads. And, and Northwestern, to their credit, I think had him well scouted. They made a few adjustments. They kind of brought some corners up and safeties up to um, get in those throwing lanes, and, and it caused some turnovers for Nebraska last week. And uh, you, you got to think Minnesota is going to take a page out of that and and, and really try to confuse Tanner Lee and uh, force him into some of those bad throws again this week. Well, keep in mind, too, Minnesota's pass defense, contrarily, is their strength. They rank second in the Big Ten and 10th nationally against the pass, um, only giving up. Uh, less than 150 yards per game through the air. So uh, this is not going to be an easy situation when you add in the competition and then the conditions they're going to be playing in going on the road. uh, This is why the run game is so important. If Nebraska thinks they're going to line up and throw the ball 40 to 50 times with Tanner Lee and expect to win this game, uh, they're out of their minds. I mean, they have to win this game between the tackles. And again, it falls on those running backs and it falls on the offensive line to get it done. Yeah, yeah, taking care of the of the football will be imperative. I mean, Nebraska is not going to be able to to uh, to go in there and not pass the football. So, uh, I mean, some of that's going to be on on Tanner Lee, and uh, and if you look at the stats, he's much better at night than he is during the day. So hopefully, um, hopefully that kind of. Uh, doesn't hold true, I guess, for Nebraska. But, um, you know, if they can get the ground game going, I don't see any reason why they can't utilize that short, controlled passing game. Yeah, turnovers, again, are going to be huge. Uh, Minnesota comes into this game having forced 17 total turnovers on the year. That's 27th nationally. Um, And on the other side, they don't commit penalties, so they're not going to beat themselves. I think they rank third nationally in fewest penalties per game at 3.7 and fewest penalty yards in just over 30 yards per game. So this is a game where Nebraska has to be as disciplined as they've been all year uh, and find ways not to beat themselves. Nate, and briefly as we wrap it up, we got to hit on J.D. Spielman coming home, and, and you knew his recruitment story and kind of how that played out. And this is a guy that really Mike Riley stood on a table for um, it wasn't necessarily the first choice for Keith Williams, but Riley kind of saw this guy, what he had, and it's proven to be one of the better recruits Mike Riley assigned in his time at Nebraska. Yeah, there's no question about it. Mike Riley saw J.D. Spielman's tape and said, okay, this is James Rogers, and this is a guy that I had an awful lot of success with at Oregon State. Uh, we need him in our offense, and and uh, like you said, I, I don't know that uh, there was another assistant coach on the staff that really – um, you know, advocated for J.D. Spielman more than Mike Riley did. So anytime you have the head coach uh, pulling for a guy, you know, you, things are usually going to turn out. They ended up getting him, and uh, he redshirts, was the scout team player of the year last year on, on uh, offense, and then so far this year is having just one heck of a freshman season. So this doesn't come to a surprise uh, for Mike Riley that, that J.D.'s having such a great year. And uh, and to be honest with you, it doesn't come as a huge surprise to me. You know, talk, following his high school career, career in Minnesota, being able to talk with some high school coaches in the state of Minnesota, there were player or there was coaches that were saying that uh, JD was maybe arguably the, the top player to ever come out of the state, uh, that he was a very, very special football player. So um, there's there's no question. I, I think that it's it's going to be exciting for him to get back home and, uh, you know, uh, you know, show what he could do. All right. When we come back, we're going to shift over to defense. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. 
This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. They're very talented backs, and they've got a big physical offensive line, you know, typical Minnesota O-line like they always have. And even if, the, especially if the weather um, kind of kind of continues or what it's supposed to be, um, they're definitely going to try and run the ball right at our teeth. So it's it's important for us to, to be physical at the point of attack and be able to come off the blocks and, and make plays. It's big to, to make sure we're in the right spots, being disciplined with that. they got really talented running backs and a big offensive line and tight ends. So everyone's got to be in their fits. And, and when, when they add hats, we got to be able to add hats. And from, you know, from backers, from the secondary, from the D-line getting off blocks, so it's a it's a real disciplined game when you face teams like this. It's going to be some old school Big Ten football in Minneapolis. Hello, welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was defensive tackle Mick Stoltenberg, linebackers coach Trent Bray, discussing just the challenge the Blackshirts will face this week. Uh, the Gophers will be led by two running backs, Rodney Smith and Shannon Brooks, who have a combined 1,034 yards over nine games. And really, they are the Gopher offense. Uh, Minnesota um, is one of the worst throwing offenses in the conference. Now, P.J. Fleck is going to fix that over time. He wants to be more of a spread guy, uh, but very similar to what Mike Riley had to do at Nebraska at the beginning. He had to blend things in this first year and make it work. Uh, but nonetheless, those two running backs, Robin, I think really are the key to everything for Nebraska. If they can stop Brooks um, and Smith, um, very good chance Nebraska can win this game. Yeah, I mean, just as we talked about on the other side of the ball, needing to run the ball, there's no question uh, about needing to stop the run on defense. Uh, Minnesota comes into this game ranked no higher than 12th in the conference in passing, total offense, and scoring offense. But they rank 5th in the league in rushing offense. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer there. They really only have one receiver who's done anything, Tyler Johnson, who's got seven touchdowns on the year. So basically you cover him and they have no air game. Uh, so you, you stop those two running backs, uh, Minnesota struggles to do much of anything. And so, I mean, it's, it, the blueprint is pretty clear um, on both, both sides of the line of scrimmage. You run the ball and you stop the run, you're probably going to win the game. Well, and they're going to be consistent, too. If you stuff the run in the first quarter, they're not going to turn straight to the passing game. Mm-hmm. They're going to continue to try and get that thing going. And, and I think that's one thing that Mick Stoltenberg said is that, um, you know, they, they're not going to be able to, to let up. If they have success stopping that run, they're going to continue to, to need to, to do that because Minnesota is stubborn. They're, they're, not going to, they're not going to go away from it. You know, there's been times where Nebraska has struggled to get the run going and they, they turn to the passing game, right? Away. Well, that's not what we're going to see out of Minnesota. So uh, they're going to continue to, to pound Brooks and, and um, what is it? Brooks and Smith. 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 It's, it's yeah. a law firm, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Brooks so, and Smith. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I think that um, yeah, PJ Flex is going to be very stubborn in that regard. They've always had, like, who were the, was it Maroney and who was the other guy they had? Marion Barber. Barber. Yeah. I mean, they've always had a pair of running backs, I think, for the longest time, even, you know, previous coaches. And, this I'm I'm the jury to me guys is still out on PJ Fleck. Is he the right fit in that culture in that environment in the Big Ten West? It's one thing in the MAC. He had great success there, but this is just such a meat and potatoes league, and it hit the style that he's going to bring to the West particularly. Um, I'll be curious how this plays out over time. Yeah, and you know just personality wise, you know he's such a flamboyant dude that. 
uh, it's fine when you're winning, but when you uh, start going and posting multiple losing seasons, that act is going to grow tired pretty quick uh, with that fan base. So, um, you know, there was it was a gamble when they brought him in. You know, Minnesota wanted to make a wave um, on the national scene, and they did that. You know, they got a reality show being P.J. Fleck or whatever that show was, uh, and got a lot of national exposure from, you know, all the, the, the major networks. But now it's time to start to see some results. And, you know, quite frankly, Minnesota's, they're four and five with one win in the Big Ten Conference. So, I mean, they got a lot of work to do. And obviously it's year one, like you mentioned, Sean, there's a big transition stylistically. Um, Their quarterback play has been atrocious. Uh, So I think that that, you know, should improve in time. But um, right now, um, PJ and his staff are leaving a lot to be desired here. Yeah, you talk about the big time change and what you've seen between Jerry Kill and, and Tracy Clays, and then you go to a, a guy like PJ Fleck, who is about as outspoken as they get. You know, I think to me the benchmark is what Matt Campbell has done at Iowa State. If 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 uh, you know PJ can turn that around and kind of uh, come close to you know duplicating what Matt Campbell has done at Iowa State, then yeah, I think that he has been a success. Uh, in the Big Ten Conference, but that's going to be pretty hard to do, to duplicate what, what Matt Campbell has done in year two at Iowa State. Well, and Fleck just puts it all out there. I mean, even at Big Ten Media Days, he's wearing, like, purple pants and... and Mar- maroon pants. Maroon pants, excuse me. Maroon <laughs> pants, and and he brought his wife, and you know, that's fine, but <laughs> it just was a whole different deal. Um, it was almost like walking into a classy country club brunch, and they were kind of the loud, fun people. And this is an established group of Big Ten coaches that had been there a long time. So you could sense, you know, he, he's an inter- interesting guy. And it will be, you know, Jerry Kill, I th- always thought was the perfect guy in Minnesota. Obviously, the health reasons, um, you know, took him out of that job. But look what Jerry Kill's done at Rutgers now. They've won three out of four Big Ten games. He's the offensive coordinator for the Scarlet Knights. They're three and three in the Big Ten. That is one of the better coaching jobs. Anybody has done this year uh, with Ash and now Jerry Kill with him um, out in uh, Rutgers. Well, he runs a system that is conducive to the Big Ten. You run the ball with a power football identity, play extremely stingy defense, and look what happens. You can turn a team like Minnesota into a, a contender in the division. So obviously that's a formula I know a lot of people around Lincoln, Nebraska, and the surrounding area would certainly like to take on. So it'll be interesting to kind of see if um, you know maybe they, they take a page out of that playbook uh, going forward. Here. Yeah, and well, and if if PJ Fleck doesn't get it going here soon, I don't think that his personality lends itself to people kind of putting up with it. I think that he'll wear out his welcome pretty faster. Yeah, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Rob Wash, and Nate Klaus as we talk storylines this week for Nebraska guys and um, the secondary tackling. Um, Lamar Jackson's been up and down. I mean, he he I, I, he made some good plays, still had a penalty or two, but. Um, he's a guy I, I think that has turned the corner a little bit the last two weeks, but um, the tackling on the back end I think will once again be important this week. That has been kind of an issue at times, and um, you know this is a week where they're going to ha- really have to tackle well because Minnesota obviously is going to really I think test test those guys on the back end. Yeah, you're going to see those safeties play real close to the line of scrimmage quite a bit and the ability to keep you know those gains or keep them you know three to four yard runs from turning into you know eight to eleven yard runs I mean that's going to be the difference in this game because if you can keep Minnesota in third and longs they're going to have a, a tough day and so 
keep them off schedule with that running game. And that's, uh, like you said, Sean, it's going to come down to a lot of tackling at the second level, um, you know, because they have a big physical offensive line that's going to eat up a lot of space in the trenches. And so guys like Chris Weber and guys like, the you know, Joshua Clue and Aaron Williams and Antonio Reed and, and those corners on the outside have to step up and play a physical brand of football uh, to, to keep Minnesota from churning out yardage and keeping drives on schedule. And I do think that a, a guy like Lamar Jackson has improved. You know, you, everyone wants to talk about, you know, what Bob Diaco was saying with the tackling and everything. But I think we do need to give Lamar Jackson a little bit of credit uh, for the for what he's done over the past couple of weeks um, because that compared to what we have seen for the first year and a half that he'd been in Nebraska, I think is, is much better. Um, so maybe there is some improvement there and, and with some other guys in the secondary, uh, but yeah, they're going to have to continue to improve and, and become sure tacklers this weekend Nate, uh, with this ground attack. Nate, it's almost like a Marlon lucky type thing for me with Lamar Jackson. Like the expectation in the bar was almost set so high that no matter what, it's going to be hard to meet that at times, especially when you get off to kind of a slow start. Yeah, there's no question, especially where they came from and what they did in high school. You know, what Martin Lucky did in high school, I mean, he was playing against terrible competition. You know, at North Hollywood High School, uh, that inner city league in, in L.A. that he was playing against, I mean, it was all – uh, it was it was garbage teams. So yeah, he put up some amazing numbers and had amazing highlight tapes. But he was doing it against very very bad competition. Then you have Lamar Jackson, who wasn't even playing corner in high school. He was a quarterback, uh, played a little safety, but primarily was a quarterback because he was best best athlete on a, on his team. Uh, and he put up some crazy uh, numbers and had a great uh, tape. And then he came and had to essentially learn how to play the cornerback position. So the expectations were high. All all right, when we come back, we're going to bring in Matt Reynoldson, and we will take your questions in the mailbag. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, it's been really great for me. Obviously, I've never played football before this, and uh, <clears throat> everybody right now is treating me really well and trying to help me uh, become a better football player. It's been an amazing experience for uh, getting to know everybody, the coaches, the fans, and everybody around. So for me, it's, it's one of the better experiences I've had in my life, just trying to get to know the sport and the community. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was uh, walk-on freshman Damian Jackson, the former Navy SEAL, who had never played football before until trying out last year, made the team as an open walk-on uh, tryout guy, and uh, has really been one of the more inspirational uh, stories in a long time uh, with the Nebraska football program to come in uh, like he has. But it's time for your questions this week in the mailbag. That means Husker Line intern Matt Reynoldson is going to take a break from class and studying and join us here this week on the mailbag. Matt, oh, what yeah. do you have? So much class and So studying. much studying. <laughs> Starting off, uh, going over Diaco's comments on Tuesday after practice. Does Diaco's comments about the tackling make you think Mike Riley hasn't had full control to run the program the right way he wants? Yeah, it's really hard to believe or understand much of it because the way Mark Banker came out to both Sam McEwen and, and Steve Sippel and defended the rugby tackling, um, you know, complicated it more. But um, I believe it was something, obviously, that was shown and suggested by the administration, and Mark Banker and his guys did embrace it. I don't know if it was necessarily forced on them as much as Diaco made it sound, but 
I was never really a fan of the rugby thing. I, I and you can ask Rob. I, I refused to write anything about it. I thought it was a dumb story. I didn't think people were that interested in hearing about it. It's freaking tackling. It's tackling. Like I, I didn't, I didn't see the need to make a huge deal about it. But uh, Bob Diaco definitely added an interesting uh, twist to this whole thing. Well, if you remember back, it was weird because you would try to ask these coaches um, from the previous defensive staff, especially Mark Banker about this shift to the rugby style, and they downplayed it, almost like kind of pass it off as if it was no big deal. Uh, so, you know, that kind of goes to what Diaco was saying, that maybe it was, it was something they truly believed in, and they were kind of just doing what they were told. But then, of course, Banker comes out and defends the rugby style tackling. So I don't know what to believe, um, but clearly the, there, there's a lot of issues in play here from top to bottom, and you got to wonder if, you know, there is something to Mike Riley not having 100 percent percent say in what goes on with this program well my, my take on banker defending it was that not so much he's defending the the rugby tackling but I think that he's going to defend his defense regardless of what um, you know what it was um, or what is you know what Bob Diaco is saying so uh, but yeah there's no question in my mind that the administration was meddling or has been meddling in the football program basically ever since Mike Riley's gotten here. I don't think that was the first time that they ever passed down a suggestion or at least or said this is what we're going to do. Um, and if you're Mike Riley, you know sometimes it can be hard to say no to your to your direct bosses and the guy that hired you. Well, between the defensive coordinator controversy and uh, obviously the four and five record, quite a few storm clouds are on around the program right now. So at this point, can you think of a scenario where Riley saves his job and gets a fourth year? <laughs> it it looks pretty tough right now. I thought that there was maybe a glimmer of hope for him going into Purdue. If they went out to Purdue as a five point dog and put together a quality, solid win where you're like, you know what, this this last next four are gonna be interesting. Well, that didn't happen. They eked out an ugly win. They did not play well. Um, it just wasn't a, a crisp win. And then, obviously, we know what happened the following week, a seven-point loss in overtime where it felt like much more than that. So I feel like the, the apathy and the damage has already been set in. It's going to be very tough, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it's done. I mean, I, I don't think there's any chance that he's back for another year. And just imagine uh, if – for some reason, they, they do bring him back. I mean, the, the fan base, how would they respond to that? Like we mentioned, the majority of the people that you hear from, at least on social media or message boards or whatever it may be, they've already moved on, and they're already ready to make a change, uh, with, even with three games still to go. So um, I don't think there's anything that can be done over these next three games, even if they win them all. I mean, I don't, still don't think that's good enough, uh, and as unlikely as that is. And so, you know, I think that there's really no reasonable way, no, no reasonable reason why <laughs> why why you would bring this staff back just because I think that you'd, you'd put yourself at risk to really create even molt, more tumult within your own fan base. Well, the the kind of the stance that I'm taking is that I'm not going to be surprised by anything that happens with Nebraska football. <laughs> Fair point. So I'm having an open mind with it. Um, obviously, I don't think that that's really in the cards any longer for this staff. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if some people make it, but I don't think that um, everyone will, certainly. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised one way or the other uh, and, and just kind of riding out the rest of the season and, and waiting to see what happens after the Iowa game. Well, and the other thing is if they were going to keep Mike Riley, they would come out and say a yeah, vote. there would be some actual yeah. support of your guy. A There's been none. Come. Yeah, and, and, and then it's we'll tell you after the Iowa game. Yeah. Well, that's not good probably. But we'll see. 
All right, we're taking your questions in the mailbag. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, Matt Reynoldson, what do you have? Moving along in our shuffle of mail, big picture, what two decisions do you think Riley will regret most after he leaves Nebraska? Ooh, um, what two decisions? I'm trying to think how that – there's so many – well, I, I would honestly say moving on from Mark Banker is probably one of them. I mean, just the fact that he had uh, a much shorter time, late, time frame than I think he expected to make such a massive transition on defense and fire your right-hand man who has been with you through thick and thin, uh, I can't imagine there's not any regret there. Uh, th- recruiting no JUCOs and yep, recruiting and, yep. and really getting no transfers other than, tan- other than Tanner Lee. I mean, I think – if you knew this kind of pressure was on you that you could be fired after a year three, you would be going out and getting more JUCOs and more transfer players in this program to find immediate impact. And and they build and recruit it as if they were going to get like six or seven years. And as we know now, that's not going to be the case. Yeah, that's that's number one thing that I was going to say is uh, the no JUCO or transfer deal. Um, and then to me, the other thing is, is that I, th- I don't know that he would have – you know, looking back, that he would have brought as many of the same staff members from Oregon State initially. Uh, you know, especially if if he knew that his his timeline was really three years that he had to get things going in, in three years. I, I feel like with as many changes as he made over his tenure here, the short tenure. Um, I, I think that he would probably would have looked to bring in some different coaches right off the get go. Well, Sean, you mentioned that. A lot of Nebraska fans have moved on from Riley at this point. So how truly divided do you guys see the Husker fan base right now? And besides winning, what's the next best step to heal Husker Nation? Well, I don't know if there is just one thing, but uh, you you get the feel like bringing in Scott Frost is going to be the closest thing. Now, there is a, I don't know if I would call it a vocal minority of some guys that really are against it, uh, against the quote-unquote tradition coalition or believe that Nebraska can still go out and maybe get somebody with more qualified experience. And, 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 and those guys will be you know loud about this if it doesn't work out, if they fire Riley, hire Frost, and then that fails. Um, but they're almost in a position now, if they fire Riley and this next move, it has to work out. Otherwise, um, you know, it, it could really turn worse than what we've even seen before. There is nothing besides winning that will fully unify this fan base right now. But I will say Scott Frost will probably be the closest coaching candidate that could do that. Uh, you know, I mean, he brings a lot of what everyone wants, not only his Nebraska connections and the fact that he was there in the glory years uh, and has those ties, but he's a darn good coach. What he's doing at Central Florida is incredible right now. Uh, and obviously his experience and his coaching tree, he's not just an offensive guy. I mean, he was a defensive assistant at Kansas State, at Northern Iowa. And so, I mean, he's coached a little bit of everything. And so, I mean, that's uh, you know something that you know just speaks to his qualifications for this job. He knows the animal that he would be getting himself into, which is Nebraska football. And I think that just kind of his no-nonsense mentality is well-suited for the job. So, uh, um, there's a lot of reasons why he's the number one guy on everybody's list, um, and it goes well beyond just being a, a quote-unquote true Husker. Yeah, there's obviously you know some fractures within Husker Nation, um, and I feel like the hiring of Scott Frost may be you know the best thing to help close some of those fractures. Um, but more than anything, I think that he, uh, his hire may invigorate this fan base 
Um, but at the end of the day, it's still going to come down to wins because if he doesn't win, it's still going to be you know oh, my coach versus your coach type of deal. You know, from in the coffee shops, the people who said uh, that they should or should not hire them, it, it's going to be me versus you again, and, and that needs to end. All right, Matt, we got time for one quick one, less than thirty seconds. All right, PJ Fleck is famous for his saying of "row the boat." If you had a three-word saying or something short like that, what would it be? God, well, I mean, <laughs> at least tell me this stuff ahead of time. I have no idea. I don't care. Well, definitely not. Definitely not pound the rock. Know. Nebraska pound went through that. Yeah, don't do pound the rock. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. <laughs> just win, baby. I, I thought you were going to thinking ask. like shore it up. Just keep swimming. You know, the little Finding Nemo in there. Y'all have daughters. <sighs> All right. When we come back, thanks, Matt. When we come back, we got to uh, shift over to recruiting to close the show. That's next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. The one thing that we're doing as a staff is we are going forward with the things that we're supposed to do, coach our team and recruit the next one. And so that's what we're focusing on. We we have put uh, you know a ton of time into this 18 class. And like you mentioned, we had a number of uh, really good visitors this last weekend. And, and we've had a, a lot of success with that 18 group as we've gone forward and we're going to continue to recruit those guys and then hopefully get them signed in December. We're doing exactly what our job description describes. We coach our team and recruit our next one and that's what we do all the time. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Very Interesting times for Mike Riley as he was asked by me on uh, Tuesday or Monday during the press conference. You know, what did you tell the eight recruits and their families? Because everybody knows what's going on, Nate, and it really almost reminds me of 07 all over again. I remember asking Bill Callahan the exact same question in an October press conference in 07 to over 10 years ago, and you know his answer was similar at that point. As when there's uncertainty, there's really not a lot you can do other than just at least try to do your job. Yeah, that's all you can do. You can, um, you can. All you can do is do your job and and even try to do it better than what you had been. Um, you know, I think having been in the fire, you know, on that side of things before, it was it was our goal to not only recruit harder um, than we had to, but uh, to try and go bigger and better than we had because uh, you want to prove yourself. You want to prove uh, to the to the recruits that you haven't given up, that you're still planning to be there, and in, until something comes down that's official, uh, that's that's what the end end result is going to be. That hey, we're going to be here. Uh, we want you to be a part of of what we're working towards, so on and so forth. So I think that's what's happening in Nebraska right now. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk recruiting and aid in Nebraska had eight official visitors in. It's really about as big of a weekend as you'll see for a 2.30 game in November. Um, but even you know when you put the context of what's going on, it was really a unique deal that so many visitors came in. Uh, what was your general take on the weekend, the vibe of the weekend, and kind of the temperature of things? Well, yeah, it was a pretty remarkable weekend because you had – you had a five star that was in town. You had four four stars that were in town. You know, out of the eight recruits, I mean, that's pretty that's pretty impressive to get that type of star talent, um, that type of uh, overall prospects on, on campus. So 
Uh, but in, in the results, you know, were, were very favorable. I mean, this these were all guys that once again witnessed uh, kind of a close loss, uh, an unfortunate loss in the football field, but all came away with very positive things to say about their experience in, in, at Nebraska over the weekend. And uh, the large majority of these guys brought their parents. Their parents really loved everything about it. Um, you know, and I, and I think that – Nebraska has set themselves up with a lot of these guys to to be in the conversation uh, just based off of where the roster is at right now because a lot of these players are, are the types of guys that, that see themselves as difference makers and see an opportunity at Nebraska to possibly come in and, and play right away. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see, though, if there is a change, just how much these relationships between the prospects and the current coaching staff plays a role in that because obviously there are some some really close ties between a lot of the recruits that visited this last weekend and to the coaching staff uh, that helped make that happen. So um, that's going to be kind of you know the rub if and when a change is made is is uh, how do these kids view their relationships with the coaches versus what they witness and how they feel towards the program in Lincoln, Nebraska itself. You're listening here to the Husker Alliance Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk recruiting. And, um, you know, a lot of guys there, were they pushing for commits? Did you get the sense anybody was actually close to a decision? Or did you get the sense that this was just basically visit one or two down the itinerary of four or five visits for a lot of these guys? Well, yeah, and that's the thing. With a lot of these players, you know, this is – um, was either their very first trip and they're they're setting out to to line up you know f- at least four others before the December signing period um, or this was you know v- trip number three or four on their itinerary of, of the five total officials that they could take and it, from the guys that I spoke with you know Nebraska really wasn't pushing for commitments necessarily uh, but they were kind of reinforcing you know um, what their what their end game was, and that was for them to end up at Nebraska. You know, they they made it very clear that uh, that they want all of these players at Nebraska, and, and what these guys could accomplish if they do come here. Uh, but they said point blank, you know what? We're not here to pressure you. We want you to make sure uh, that you're you're handling this this uh, recruiting process the correct way, uh, and really you know digesting all the information that you get from all these other places that you're visiting. You know they. They said, we know you have a lot of options, uh, but we feel like Nebraska is the best option for you. But it's it's now it's your decision, though, to kind of you know, weigh the pros and cons and, and come to that conclusion yourself. And Nate, uh, President Hank Bounds once again held the uh, the final brunch at his house on Sunday uh, versus having at a restaurant what they did before. Your thoughts on just uh, his involvement um, and and in how involved the president's been involved. Well, yeah, I had a chance to ask a couple of recruits about that, and they were really impressed uh, by that. And they said nowhere they've ever been on any of these other visits has you know the the president of the university or even the chancellor of the university been nearly as involved or involved at all as what Nebraska had, and uh, and they respected that. They thought it was pretty neat that that was happening. And I said, okay, well, what was the message that that you were getting from Hank Bounds or Ronnie Green, and, and they they told me that the the overriding theme of what they were trying to preach to the players was don't forget where education kind of falls into all of this because yeah you've got an opportunity to go and play football anywhere in the country but um, 
you have also have the opportunity to go get a free education and take advantage of that free education, uh, you know, anywhere in the country. And in Nebraska, uh, they feel like they have the, the best setup for student athletes to prosper both on the football field and in the classroom and um, and even have a, you know, if you t- really do take advantage of that, you could not only get your undergraduate degree, but start working on your graduate, uh, you know, your, your, your master's or whatever um, after your undergrad. And, uh, and that's, I think that was kind of the overriding theme is uh, think about your future beyond football and who can best set you up uh, to to really take advantage of this free education. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we kind of put a wrap on things. So what's next, Nate, these next two weeks in the Iowa game? Do you anticipate much movement here going forward with Mike Riley and his staff as far as on the recruiting trail goes? Well, they're still being very active on the recruiting trail. There's been some new offers that have gone out here over the last week and, and even offers to underclassmen that have gone out. So, um, the, the I mean, they, they had eight official visitors on campus and they're still recruiting underclassmen. So I think that tells you that they're still pushing hard on the recruiting trail. Um, but don't know exactly, you know, how many recruits are going to be in town for that Iowa game. Um, we know of two for certain right now, Dallas Craddith, uh, safety out of St. Louis, and then Tate Wildeman, uh, defensive end commit out of Colorado. Those are two for sure that will be in town for the Iowa game. Um, but beyond that, I think that everyone else, for the most part, in terms of uh, the targets and the prospects that are on the board and that have already visited are just kind of taking a wait-and-see approach to see you know, exactly how this season finishes out and, and what may or may not happen uh, after the Iowa game. Well, it's going to be interesting times here over these next few weeks. Both Robin and I, along with our interns Matt and David, will be in Minneapolis this weekend with full coverage of Nebraska versus Minnesota. It's an 11 a.m. game, so make sure you are logged on to Husker Online as Uh, We will have complete coverage of everything from Minneapolis this weekend. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 